ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the Fresh Frozen Southerner podcast. My name is Jay. I hope all is well. Uh, real quick, before we get started, Cancel Culture has decided to go after Pepe Le Pew. The Pepe Le Pew cartoons first started airing in 1945, which is 76 years ago. So basically, everybody alive has been on this planet for the entirety of Pepe Le Pew's existence. They're saying that he promotes rape culture. First of all, I don't know if you've ever watched a Pepe Le Pew cartoon. Uh, he, there is no rape in those cartoons. Basically, him pursuing this cat that somehow or another always manages to get a stripe painted down her back so she looks like a skunk is just a setup for him to suffer a pratfall, to fall off a building, or the female cat hits him in the head with a hammer. Pretty much all the ones I can remember at the end of the cartoon, there's a role reversal where somehow or another the lady cat falls in love with him and then she's chasing him. But cancel culture has really gone too far at this point. I know there are a lot of people that expect this stuff to happen or are actually rooting for it to happen. But it's become a witch hunt at this point. And the issue with witch hunts is even if witches don't actually exist... They're going to find a witch. And witch hunts always end with people hanging from the end of a rope. And you can say that cancel culture is doing a good thing. Maybe at the very beginning when there were some actual egregious things that needed to be addressed, sure. They're really getting into the weeds and they're just looking for targets. And like I say, if there's no target there, they'll manufacture one. And this isn't going to a good place. Again, if he promotes rape culture, why has the instance of rape went down since we have all known Pepe Le Pew our entire lives? I, I know it's my fault because I apply logic to these situations and that's not how these people think. But I would like an answer to that if anybody can uh, shoot me a message and let me know how the hell they think Pepe Le Pew is making the world a worse place. The true irony in this is that because of the scandal, Pepe Le Pew is now the most popular and most recognized Looney Tunes character. And maybe I'm alone in this. I never really enjoyed the Pepe Le Pew cartoons. It was something you sat through waiting for Bugs Bunny or Sylvester to come back on. It's kind of like, if you remember a few months ago, there was all that rigmarole because Netflix was airing the movie Cuties and everyone was saying that it was basically just a pedophile's wet dream. I know in these people's minds they were doing something good. Here's the problem when you start making a, a big row over stuff like this. Somebody like me, there is zero chance that I would have ever watched the movie Cuties. If I saw it on Netflix and I read the description, I would have kept scrolling. It's just simply not, not my cup of tea. Now, I have not watched Cuties, but... All the controversy did was make me curious about what was in this movie that is so bad. So the only thing these people accomplished, as far as I'm concerned, is they took the chances of me seeing this movie from 0% to, I'm going to say, 5-10%. So, good job, social activists. Keep it up. Alright guys, what, what I really want to talk to you about today is coincidences. Now, we, we all know what coincidences are. You see them all the time. Uh, some very famous examples. <clears throat> in 1974, in Bermuda, a taxi cab struck and killed a man riding a scooter. 
One year later to the day, that same taxi driver driving the same taxi struck and killed a man on a scooter that turned out to be the original victim's brother who kept the brother's scooter and fixed it up and was riding it. Uh, Not only did he kill a man riding the same scooter, it was on the same street that he struck the brother and he had the same passenger in the car. And that's just kind of the crazy things that you'll you'll hear about popping up every once in a while. There are 8 billion people on the planet. Stuff like this is just statistically going to happen every once in a while. Another famous example is they were identical twins in Ohio. I can't remember the year. They were put up for adoption. They were adopted by separate, separate families. Both families named the boys James. Both boys grew up and became law enforcement officers. Both men married a woman named Linda. Both had a son that they named James Allen. One was spelled A-L-L-A-N. The other was spelled A-L-A-N. And then both men divorced Linda and later remarried a woman named Betty. A couple less well-known examples from the movie world. And this first one, there's some question as to whether this actually happened or if it was a publicity prank by the studio. So... Take this one with a grain of salt, but the Professor Marvel character in The Wizard of Oz, the wardrobe department wanted him to be dressed in a very nice coat that was very worn out, very ratty looking, but something that you could tell was a very nice coat when it was new. They went to a local thrift store and bought several coats. The one that fit him best and the one he picked out to wear later turned out to belong to Frank L. Baum, who was the author of The Wizard of Oz. Now, again, that's there's some questions as to whether that's true or just something made up for publicity. Uh, but here's one that is true. Anthony Hopkins was set to star in a movie called The Girl from Petrovka. It's based on a novel by the same name. Uh, the author's name is George Pfeiffer. As he was preparing for the role, he wanted to get a copy of the book uh, to read research for his character. Apparently, this book is very hard to find. It had been out of print, and it was very a huge popular book to begin with. After about a month of trying to find a copy of this book, Anthony Hopkins was on the subway one evening, and in one of the seats was a copy of The Girl from Petrovka. Somebody had been reading it on the subway and got up and left, and they left the book sitting there. After the movie had been made, Anthony Hopkins actually got a chance to meet George Pfeiffer, and he was telling in the story of how much trouble he had of locating that book, and Mr. Pfeiffer told Mr. Hopkins that he actually did not have a copy of the book. He had loaned his copy to a friend who lost it on the subway. So not only did Anthony Hopkins miraculously find a copy of the book that he was looking for, it actually belonged to the author himself. And again, everybody's got examples of just odd things that have happened in their lives. Uh, Just a couple of quick from mine. I met my wife my senior year in high school. Uh, She had lived in Richmond. They moved to the town I was in the summer before my senior year. Um, I got to know my wife when we started dating in about December of that year. After we dated for a couple of months, we found out that our fathers had graduated from the same class, and 
our fathers grew up together and then we just happened to meet and start dating. Another one, and I actually come across this a few days ago, and this isn't a big coincidence, uh, but I come across a little informational tidbit on the internet that you'll see a lot of times, and it was dealing with three of the oldest rivers in the world are all in the United States. Now, one of those is the New River. It's kind of an ironic name, considering that river is about 400 million years old. But I grew up very close to the New River. I I've spent a lot of time fishing and camping on the New River. The second river in the U.S. was the French Broad River. The French Broad runs through Tennessee. It's very close to Pigeon Forge and Sevierville, the Great Mountains. And me and my family vacationed there all the time. We took long weekends. It was about three hours away. Spent a lot of time right there around the French Broad. The third river on that list was the Susquehanna. And as I sit here recording this, I am, as the crow flies, maybe five miles away from the Susquehanna River. So just a little coincidence from my own life is that the three oldest rivers in the United States, I have spent a pretty much my whole life within shouting distance of all three of these rivers. And a coincidence like that, it really doesn't mean anything. But sometimes weird coincidences can kick off a chain of events that affect the entire world's history. One of those is the assassination of Archduke Ferdinand. I'm sure everybody knows that Archduke Ferdinand being assassinated is the event that historians point to as the beginning of World War I. But something I'd never heard about was just what an insanely improbable twist of fate that assassination actually was. Now, my intention at this point was to give some political background on Austro-Hungarian, Sarajevo, Herzegovina unrest from that time. But I started digging into this to do a little research for this show. And oh my God, first of all, I have got a huge amount of newfound respect for anybody that chooses to study European history as a career. That place is a mess and apparently has been a mess for the last thousand years. Just the little bit I dug into it, I have concluded that the only thing the European continent has ever agreed on is that it's a lot of fun to shoot at each other. I, I could speak for an hour trying to set up the political background of this assassination, and I would not be anywhere close to doing it justice. They were so many factions and so many little countries, and then you've got the bigger empires putting pressure on these smaller ones like the German Empire and the Russian I mean, it, I could literally go on for two hours just setting up this story. Uh, suffice to say, there were a bunch of little countries and everybody hated each other. But the assassination was planned by a man named Danilo Iliak, and I guarantee you that I'm going to be giving a lot of people's names here. I'm sure I'm going to butcher the pronunciation. Just overlook it. I'm sure I'm not close on a lot of these. Uh, Danilo Iliak was a member of a revolutionary group called the Black Hand. He had infiltrated another group of seditionists called the Young Bosnians. Uh, he was hoping to use that group to sow discontent. But he had six members 
positioned along the route that Ferdinand was going to take that day in a planned assassination attempt. Archduke Ferdinand arrived in the city of Sarajevo. Uh, it was June 28th, 1914. And just right from the start, everything that happened this day was just a comedy of errors. It is, it's like I say, it's unbelievable all the silly little things that went wrong. And this assassination attempt still managed to get pulled off. Uh, the first thing, when they arrived at the train station, there were six cars in the motorcade. A group of Sarajevo policemen got into the wrong car, and that resulted in all but one of Archduke Ferdinand's personal security forces being left behind by mistake. Now, they were two cars with police officers and security individuals. Uh, the Archduke Ferdinand and his wife was in the third car, and then more security and entourage people in the three cars behind them. The car that Archduke Ferdinand was sitting in was a convertible model and had the roof folded down. Now, there had been discussion by the leaders of Sarajevo to bring the military in to act as police along the parade route. It was decided not to do that because they thought that that would send too militaristic a message. And it was decided that the police would provide security along the route. Uh, the problem is, is that there was only about 60 police officers on duty in Sarajevo that day. And it was a several mile route that they were trying to keep an eye on. The Archduke's first stop that day was to inspect a military barracks. And from there, he was going to town hall to meet the mayor and to give a speech. Danilo Ilyich had stationed six men along the route between the military barracks and the town hall. And his thinking was that this would give the individual groups multiple chances to take out the motorcade if the first one failed. The first two men that the motorcade passed were two men by the name First was named Mamed Mamed Bazik, and the second was a man named Vazo Kubrilovich. Not sure why they did not take any action as they went by. I don't know if they felt like it was not the opportune time to make the attack or if they just froze. But uh, both these men were armed with a bomb, and Vazo also had a pistol. Neither men took any action. The motorcade went past them. The next man in line was named Nijelko Kabrinovich, and I honestly don't know whether to laugh at this poor guy or to feel sorry for him. Kabrinovich actually did throw his bomb. It actually struck Ferdinand's car. I mentioned before it was a convertible with the top folded down. The bomb hit the fabric of the folded down roof and bounced backwards into the road. Now, the bombs that they had were timed bombs, had a few seconds delay. The second bomb went off and took out the car directly behind Archduke Ferdinand's car. Uh, obviously destroyed that car. Nobody died. Uh, about 20 people were injured in the explosion. Now, Mr. Kabrinovich ran away from the scene. He had a cyanide tablet to commit suicide after his attempt. He swallowed the cyanide tablet, and he jumped into the Miljaka River that runs through Sarajevo. 
Now, here's where some more of the odd comedy of errors from this day comes into effect. The cyanide tablet that Kabrinovich took was very old. It had lost a lot of its potency. It did not kill him. Uh, he started throwing up violently, uh, but it was nothing close to a fatal dose at that point. And as far as jumping into the Miljaka River, apparently it had been a hot, dry summer. And the portions of the Miljaka River that ran through Sarajevo was about a foot deep. A police officer went into the river and pulled Kabrinovich out. The crowd that had gathered there beat him severely before he was able to be removed from the crowd and taken to the hospital. Obviously, he was arrested. Now, when the bomb went off, obviously, the other cars in the motorcade sped up and left very quickly. The other three would-be assassins, a man named Jedko Popovich, Gavrilo Princep, and Trefun Grabez. Again, I'm probably mispronouncing those words horribly, or those names horribly. The cars were going fast enough when they reached them that they didn't even bother to try to make an attempt. All three men kind of dispersed into the crowd and went to hide. The motorcade traveled to the town hall, where the mayor was... In the middle of giving a speech in preparation for them arriving there, news of the bombing had not reached them yet. Ferdinand was still able to give his speech, and there was a lot of discussion about what they needed to do at that point. Uh, there was a suggestion that the Archduke should stay at the town hall until troops could arrive to escort him back to the train station to ensure his safety. In the end, that was shot down. Uh, mostly because they did not want troops coming in without dress uniforms. That is a silly reason to decide that, but they wanted, if there was going to be a military security detail, they wanted them dressed in very fancy uniforms so it would appear to the people of the city that this was an honor guard and not, holy crap, they just tried to kill this guy. <laughs> But it was decided that they would not wait for troops to escort them back to the train station. Ferdinand suggested that instead of continuing on the route that they had planned, what he and his wife should do would be to go to the hospital to visit the victims of the bombing and then leave town. They decided that that would be a good way to go. Uh, they figured that there are not the city's not full of assassins, and if you're going somewhere that nobody knows that's where you're heading, the chances of you running into anything are practically zero. Now, one of the military officials that was there, uh, his man is Governor Oscar Petoriak. He planned out the route to the hospital that would avoid the city center and not go on any of the streets that were supposed to be part of the parade route. This is another thing that went screwy this day that makes you wonder how any of this stuff happened the way it happened. After deciding that, uh, Mr. Petoriak proceeded not to tell the drivers of the car that he had changed the route. Uh, he did get into the car, the open-top car, with Archduke Ferdinand, and they left for the hospital. Now, as I said, that they had not informed any of the drivers that there was a change in the route. This resulted in the first two cars turning back onto the pre-planned parade route and heading back into the city center. 
Now, Governor Pretoriak stopped the driver of Archduke Ferdinand's car, told him you're going the wrong way, you need to turn around. The driver attempted to reverse the car to turn around and stalled it. And why this is such a big moment in this story is that when the driver stalled the car, they were sitting directly in front of Gavrilo Princep, one of the would-be assassins. And when I say right in front, I mean directly beside where this man was standing. Mr. Princep stepped up onto the running board of the car. He shot Archduke Ferdinand once in the neck. He shot Ferdinand's wife once in the stomach and then went to put the gun to his head to take his own life. And Governor Pretoriak managed to tackle him and place him under arrest. And I'd just like you to think for a moment, what are the chances that there is a failed assassination? Some of the would-be assassins melt into the crowd and try to blend in to get away from the scene. And just by sheer happenstance, your car stalls two feet from one of the guys, and the person that he was there to kill is sitting three feet in front of him in a top car. It's insane to think that something like that launched the war to end all wars. Although that does lend a lot of credence to the saying that when it's your time to go. Of course, another possibility is that God just really hated Archduke Ferdinand. All right, guys, that's about all I've got for you today. I'd hope you enjoyed the show. If you'd like to send me a message, uh, you can send me an email at freshfrozensoutherner at gmail.com. And if you would share this with your friends and leave a positive review, I would certainly appreciate it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I hope everybody had a good St. Patrick's Day, and I hope you have a good rest of the week, and I will talk to you soon. Bye.